It's showtime. Showtime. Welcome to the party, pal. Welcome to this week's episode of the Sultans of Smoke Cigar Cast. As always, make sure you guys are getting over and checking out our sponsor. Cigar Noise Weekly. 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 And let's dive into this week's episode. There's no rules for cigar smoking for me. Well, there are a few rules, but uh, when the cigar was that good and I left half of it sitting in an ashtray, I'm like, I'm going to smoke that. How is it today? (laughs) Yeah. Is it just as good? Uh, I purged it, the whole thing, and I'm very happy. It was the flavor profile I was looking for. I went straight straight uh, San Andreas tonight too so um, this one is like a refreshing palate cleanse and tequila helps too so (laughs) awesome Uh, we'll get a little intro going and get started man where is everybody am I I the only one on video yeah we have a new video here let me turn off my video then how do I get rid of the video (laughs) there's a button uh, at the, the bottom with the little camera. camera. It's funny. It I, felt, I felt bad. I'm like, let me jump on video. But yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> I was like, I feel bad. What up, Pete? I have no idea. Like, <laughs> I just, I just Skype thing. I'm like, I actually, you know, I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest. I kind of laugh about Skype because it's such an old system, but it's been around forever. And now Zoom's the new big technology that everybody's going crazy for. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Zoom, I mean, Zoom's taken over, but like Zoom just automatically you assume video and kind of like FaceTime, right? So Skype is yeah. what it's called. Call in, record. Well, that makes sense. Cool. Well, let's get started. <clears throat> Welcome to the Sultans of Smoke Cigar Cast. Drew. Moo Cow Rich. Bringing the bull. The Danny Vasquez. What up? Mo? Yo. And, uh... What's going on, gentlemen? Mo, you got our guest this week? We are joined by one of the, I mean, really OGs of the boutique movement, uh, Mr. Pete Johnson of Tatawahe. What's up, guys? I, I, I guess if you saw my face on video, you would actually see that I was laughing to that intro. <laughs> <laughs> but thank, you, thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, dude, so... Uh, I'm just it's it's more it of an embarrassed laugh, you know? <laughs> oh, well, oh, why does it make you feel... Well, dude, this is... Uh, you don't see my face anymore, but this is what 50 looks like. So... <laughs> um, so we're going to kick it off with a quick story. Just uh, so I, I was at IPCPR 2019. I was in the process of switching factories and having my first meeting with, uh, with Gus Kura of Noxa. Great guy. Great guy. Amazing guy. So we go to the Grand Locks and we're waiting in line to get in and you pass by. And you're like, oh, hey, Gus. And I'm like, oh, shit, man, I didn't want anybody from the industry to see me with talking to Gus because I hadn't switched factories from Mombacho yet. 
And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, Pete Johnson doesn't know who the fuck I am. This will be fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, all right. You know, so I sat down with Gus and we had, I mean, we had breakfast. But anyway, um, so Drew's going to kick us off with uh, the first. So, uh, so, so Pete, you're, you're actually here because of a, uh, a, a socks and pants uh, topic. Oh, yes. Now I remember. <laughs> <laughs> now I remember how I got suckered into this shit. <laughs> no, no. You know, sometimes I forget about, like, where I said, yeah, I'll get on something. And I <laughs> now I did the socks and pants thing. Yeah. It is always. I'm going to st- straight up say it for me. <laughs> personal opinion. I got to put the socks on first and then the pants. Because the socks have to stay riding up, yeah. never down. Yeah, I agree. Oh, that's another guy that's wrong. Do you, do you amateurs hear this? <laughs> the topic that divided the podcast. Yes, the real men hear what you're saying. It's like, I don't know, it's, it's like putting your pants on before you put your underwear on. That's what I said, yes. <laughs> Unless you're Superman or Batman, that doesn't work. <laughs> it's, it's, that's like physically impossible. Uh, no, man, you just don't maybe, don't wear underwear. Well, not, no, here's the thing. Maybe maybe it's because I, you know, I'm not into this. Like, what are the what are the really tight jeans like kids are wearing these days? So maybe I'm just not into that. But my pants go up just fine with enough space to put my socks on. Just saying. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> Pete's into the skinny jeans now. <laughs> hey, dude. Listen, Ace Ventura could take off his underwear. <laughs> that was actually from a scene from uh, that Ben Stiller movie where he's a model. Uh, yes, I'm sorry. It was. It was uh, Zoolander. It was Zoolander. Zoolander. <laughs> yeah, a classic, by the way. Oh, for sure. <laughs> They're about to mess it up with Zoolander 2, though. But... Anyway, next. Uh, Pete, so... Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, out in theaters or in your home. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of a... We'll, we'll hit some cigar stuff and then some fun stuff. But um, with the COVID... Uh, I actually love this, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> I have to just interrupt because i love talking about anything but cigars yep. first of all <laughs> that, that, all right. that's normally what the we do part, <laughs> the second part is that I, I actually get to sit here and kind of lean into the chair and not have to worry about how i look on camera oh yes <laughs> so i'm very yeah. happy about this that, that double chin check oh dude and, and dude I've, I've dropped 20 25 pounds since covid started so Oh man! Uh, you, How'd I, you do I, I, that on purpose? I, pick, yeah, I, I picked them up for yeah. you, bro. I don't worry. Well, no, yeah, we 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 did the whole thing where we got the COVID fifteen, and yeah. then we decided to start walking a lot, and we got bikes, and I think dude, there's gonna be a lot of bikes for sale in about six months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, with the yeah, COVID, we got golf clubs. Well, actually, I had golf clubs, but I bought golf clubs for everybody in the family. <laughs> you're so, coming with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if I have to exercise, you're, you're fucking coming. 
Well, we put the we, we put the youngest one in uh, in a bunch of school sports, and uh, none of them none of them worked. Baseball was working, but then the COVID thing hit, and the practice facility closed down for a while. So he he got bored of that whole concept, and all that equipment that I bought is sitting in a drawer somewhere. Um, but now the new thing is golf and he, he seems to like to hit things. So that's cool. Nice. So now the support, <laughs> the support team is coming in where, where I actually have a set that I'm actually sending from Los Angeles to Miami. And I just bought my wife a set tonight and her oldest son is set at, uh, on Monday. So we're all going golfing. We're going to be how old's the, the youngest? Mm. 12, sixth grader. Oh, wow. That's when those are the best. Man, I was really bad in middle school. Yeah, he wants to be a YouTuber, though. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Who Are you going to plug his yeah. channel? Should we all no. Watch it? Because you know what? I asked him, I said, You want to do this? I'll help you. What do you want to <laughs> focus on? What do you want to focus on? He goes, I don't want to be on camera. I go, Then you don't want to be a YouTuber. Yeah. <laughs> Does he know what YouTube is? Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, he does. Some, somewhere around three in the morning, I've caught him up talking to his friends and watching YouTube. And somehow he's ha he has like three or four like different things working at the same time. The TV, the computer, the iPad, and the telephone. And I've, so, I've had to uh, literally walk into his room at 3 a.m. and say, what the truck? <laughs> no, you you could uh feel free no. to let your hair down. Okay, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you oh, like I, how do you like Miami versus really LA? Miami's cool, man. I actually I'm gotten used to it. Um, my Spanish is getting better. Yeah. Now I can actually have conversations with the the family to a point where my head doesn't explode. <laughs> but yeah, um. Yeah. Now it's Cuban Spanish, which is like, yeah, dude, it's so different. <laughs> it, it, dude, and it's so different from Nicaraguan Spanish because half the time I, like, even Cuban people don't understand Nicaraguan people. Yeah, because it's, the, the, it's a lot. It's the a dialect lot proper. Yeah, the dialect is so different. Yeah. And, and it goes from country to country. Actually, it's it's crazy. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm Puerto Rican and. Uh, uh, we're the worst. I mean, we there's <laughs> we we take out letters. Wait, who's this talking? Danny? Oh, Danny. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me and Cal get confused a lot, but uh, no, uh, no, yeah, because I don't see anybody. I just see I just see I like a. Oh, you're right. I don't know. I see a thing in the middle of the screen. That's it. Oh. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're the worst. We take letters out. There, some words mean something completely different than they are actually supposed to mean. Uh, but it's. It is what it is. We call it Spanglish, too, which is official. I think it's a real language. Yeah, no, I think it's official. <laughs> it has to be Miami. Jeez. Where, where are you from in Puerto Rico, Danny? Well, the the biggest island, or the biggest city in Puerto Rico, uh, New York City, um, is actually where I'm from. My parents. <laughs> yeah. My dad is from San Juan. I, or my mom dude, no one else laughed at that, but I, I got the joke. <laughs> but these are all these are all Midwest guys. They don't get it. Like we, there's more Puerto Ricans in in New York now, I think, than on the island. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so Danny, Danny, are Puerto Ricans? I don't know. Are Puerto Ricans in the whole brujeria shit? Oh, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, dude, you have no idea. You know how many, you know how many fucking chickens in bags that I've seen in the last week <laughs> around Miami. I don't, oh, yeah. I don't know if they're 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 all like rooting for the coronavirus to go away or they're rooting for the for the election to go in their way because you know Miami is very <laughs> very <laughs> <Yeah>. staunch <laughs> in a certain direction. Um, Trump supporters, dude. It, it's it's crazy. It. It's crazy how, how like just around the corner we have a roundabout like not too, not too far from our house, um, just up the just up the street. And I was turning through the roundabout. I go, holy shit! There's a fucking chicken in a bag. <laughs> it's basically they take take a, a chicken or a rooster and they they yeah, sacrifice so, it. I do because it's. Because of like religious, like religious uh, freedom, as long as they do it in a right way, they can, you can actually do it. It's like a hustle. Yeah. Well. Okay. So I don't know if it's exactly the right way, <laughs> <laughs> but it freaks the hell out of me. But it, it's no it, it's it's interesting. Like, literally, we'd be walking uh, the streets, you know, through our neighborhood, and Yanni will tell me to to cross the street. I'm like, why? She goes. That bag over there is brujeria for sure. I go, how do you know that? She goes, I know. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So is that a free chicken? Yeah, would it take that? <laughs> yeah. uh, free range uh, in a bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just go grab it. You got dinner. I do. To me, it's it's culture shock for me because I, I you know, I, I don't pay attention to that stuff. I mean, I just don't. I mean, if I see a dog on the side of the road, I'm going to go help the dog. But if, if I see if I see a chicken in the back, I'm like, what the fuck happened there? <laughs> yeah. I don't understand the culture. Yeah. When it comes. To... Yeah, I'm learning. Uh, I so, so I met I met a couple guys out of Miami uh, when I was trying to start the voyage in my own cigar and this and that. And then I, you know, and there was a guy that gave me real, uh, some pretty good advice, and I'm not going to mention his name, but he made, gave me some advice while I was doing it. And then later on, like a year and a half later, two years, and it's an even deeper conversation how it started. But I got into a conversation with a guy that supports himself in life and does very well as a psychic, and he's a medium, and he's out, he's out of Miami. It turns out that that psychic is like a really good account for that cigar guy that I was doing because he was giving him cigars or selling him cigars for different rituals and, and things like that that he would do. And it was just like oh, really, really crazy how like it all like circled around. I'm like, man, that's an untapped market of psychics and medians. Maybe, you know, get some accounts out of these guys across the country. But yeah, it was, it was just funny how that's super, super prevalent in Miami or in Latin well, American culture. Danny, I'll, I'll, I'll say it straight up. I, I believe that one of our biggest fights that we should have been like pushing after is that tobacco's religion. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most I mean, it's got the most history to it. The history of it, it for sure is, mm -hmm. especially the Cuban history. I mean, and everywhere else now. I mean, it's a, for me, it's religious because I, I get to sit and do nothing for a few hours. Yeah. 
They could have won us a case. Hey, you ever come out with Voyage? Voyage again? Uh, you say oh. Voyage or voy Voyage? Uh, it, however, whoever's buying it wants us to say it. It doesn't matter. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I usually say. <laughs> Why? How do you say that? <laughs> no, I think Cigar uh, Don Williams had it the best. Cigar in that video. Yeah. Uh, uh, as of as of right now, part of my agreement is uh, no uh, with under my current situation. So yeah, but they, they, you guys should you guys should come out with it under under the, your new your new uh, your new administration that you guys have. It'd be pretty easy. I think uh, substantial equivalence is a a pretty easy thing to prove. So I don't know. Maybe we'll talk soon, Pete Johnson. <laughs> so funny. It's, it's 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 you know what it is it's a, it's a lot of like paperwork and a lot of uh it's actually okay i can't say it's a lot of paperwork it's just a little bit of time uh doing excel spreadsheets and word docs that you can do mail merge to and right and uh have all the technical info that you need in there as long as you have all that stuff, I, th I think it's, a, I think it's a, a good path to go. Can anyone seriously what, imagine? What year? What year were you? 2014? Uh, 16. 16. 16. It seems like a long time ago, right? But it was, I was Okay, yeah, but you're 16. You're a substantial equivalent. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, it was uh, July or something like that. Uh, officially July. Um, yeah. Danny, we're all air-cured dark tobacco. Or dark air-cured tobacco. Preaching... To the choir, yeah, because like all my memories are from the uh, Save the Leaf that happened on August eighth of that year, mm -hmm. like started coming up, and I'm like, I can't believe we're not anywhere closer. No. <laughs> four years later, you know, and if anything, it's 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 gotten worse or whatever, and I just we're yeah, we're, Danny, you're, we're super close to something. <laughs> super, it's called September 9th. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah. Danny, you're, yeah. you're 81, 82, 83, or 51. That's all you need to know. Man. You're right. good on that. But I was going to say, can I'll anyone be... seriously imagine Pete at the coffee table going with his Excel spreadsheet and entering in all this no, data? I, I no, I don't think that. <laughs> no, dude, you know what? Honestly, years, uh, years ago. I, 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 uh, I, had to, I had to teach myself how to do Excel spreadsheets when I was younger. And I, I, I learned a lot of things computer-wise. I was never, like, that smart of a person when I was – I'm still not smart. Trust me. Oh. But, uh, but when, when I was younger, I forced myself to, to get into certain things because I needed it. Mm -hmm. Like, I needed to do an inventory system for the Grand Havana room, so I, I set up my own Excel spreadsheet um, with all the calculations to, to get to zero, hopefully, right? <laughs> <laughs> Is this a roundabout way of saying you're making your 12-year-old learn it? Yeah. <laughs> and um, new IT support staff. Yeah. But I, I actually rely on, on Dan, Dan from, uh, from New Havana and Surrogates, Dan. Mm -hmm. I, I, rely on, I rely on him a lot because, uh, you know, data entry is his, like, that's his foreplay. <laughs> so, so he really, you're making he, you're making mo 
I'll get all feisty right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, that's pretty hot. Yeah, that's that's his thing. So for for me and Dan to sit down for a couple hours, we can literally zip through three hundred SE reports uh pretty quick. Jeez. And then after that it's just it's just sitting down in the computer and, and finding all the invoices that we need to prove everything. So isn't this the same process everybody's complaining about though? You make it sound kind of easy. Everybody's complaining about it because we don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. We don't want to do it, but in the end, as long as you know the the process and the formulas that you need to throw in the in the report that that the FDA wants to hear, it's actually I don't know, it's 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 relieving that it's actually kind of um not easy, but uh, somewhat on a on a dumbed down level. But the FDA is so confused on what they want that it's <laughs> it's really irritating yeah. because because at the end of it, I believe that a judge is going to get so pissed off and say, you know what, the FDA should go pound sand because they have no idea what they want to do with this sector. And that's the hope that everybody wants to. And we're complaining about it because we have to do it because we shouldn't have to do it. That's why we're complaining. It's legit. I think I love this because it's super casual. Yeah, if they were, I I would say that if they, uh, if it wasn't for the anti-tobacco groups, this shit probably would have gone away. Uh, But there's, but there's no way from an optics perspective that the fda could have said yeah forget premium cigars but the last thing they want to fuck with is premium cigars it's a just a huge waste of time for them oh, dude we're a tiny ass market no. first of all huge waste of time yeah I, I'm, I'm hoping that they they they're so they're so convinced that it's a huge waste of time yeah that we can go and and actually sue them for our user fees <laughs> 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 nice. I, I can think of a couple owners, uh, manufacturing <laughs> owners that would be in the front line for that. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm small fry compared to some of the people I've talked to, and and some of their numbers are outrageous. Mm. So, yeah, I know I know what ours were, and it's like, like what you know, and it, I think it's really just a retainer. And yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it's a nominal nominal dollar amount when you think of like the amount of sticks if you think of per stick you're like okay it's it's a few pennies right um but then when you look at four years of it you're like wow that's a lot of money right yeah anyway let's do what you got for topics man better cleaner subject (laughs) (laughs) all right pete here's a question for you look i i got I, I got his perspective. Now I want your perspective on it because you were on the other side of this trade. Who's his? Ready? Vartan. Tell um. us the story. How he. Now, is it true that he bought you out and that you were like, fuck, how am I going to get these cigars made to him? No, no. What happened was in 2004 at the Vegas trade show, Vegas, the Vegas trade show was interesting for me because. It was my second second trade show with Tatuaje, and 
I had a booth space inside of Brizard and Co., which is now Brizard and Co., but it's called yeah, the they make, some cool, they make some cool stuff. Yeah, I was in his booth. Surreal and I have been friends since the mid-90s, and that's why I love his product, because I've followed his path for years. Um, and I always kind of got pissed off when, when all these other companies out of China started copying the identical case. Because he was the guy that started that that style, um, mm-hmm. but uh, Surreal would always be generous enough to to like sell me like a, a one booth out of his four booths, and I had a a, a setup where I had Jaime Garcia actually rolling cigars in my booth. Papine was actually at another booth working. Obviously, the, the old company he used to work with. Um, and I still had to leave the booth to go order cigars for the Grand Venerable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I got called back to the booth by a buddy of mine, Greg, uh, from Hollywood Smoke. Danny, you probably yeah. know him. And uh, Greg's like, hey, there's a guy here from Arizona that wants to talk to you about your cigars. And I I think I might have been in the LaFleur booth at the time. And I said, I'll be right back. It, it was like maybe a couple aisles over. And uh, Barton said he was smoking a, a Sir Winston or an SW, the the, the Churchill size. Yeah. And he says, uh, this is a really good cigar. And uh, here's my order. And I looked at the order. I was like, scared of it. This was like, <laughs> <laughs> this was like, you know, early on where I had maybe, I don't know, 40 accounts in the country. Right. And, uh, and it wasn't because I, I didn't, I had inventory. I had all the cigars uh, way more than what he ordered, but I, I asked him, I said, are you sure you want me to ship all these at once? Because, <laughs> you know, being, being the buyer, being the buyer from Grand Havana, I would order like, you know, Hey, I'll take three of those, four of these, three of these, two of these, you know, one of those, give me a set of that. And it was like within a limited budget, but right. I can't remember the exact order. I could probably look it up now and find it because I can remote into California right now and see, see what the order was. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I was just like being a retailer, you know, coming from that, from that side of it. I'm like, wow, yeah. that's, that seems like a lot for one guy. I don't know who you are. And of, course, <laughs> of course, early on, I was always afraid of the, you know, the backdooring of a product. Even then, I was I was very well aware of people, you know, selling to the big houses out their back door. And next thing you know, the brand goes to shit because the big houses, you know, kind of crushed it. Right. Right. Not so much mm-hmm. anymore. The big houses have cleaned up their acts a lot. Um. And if any of your big houses are listening, thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, it was it was a, a big enough order to for me to go. I don't know, uh, and that's when I was like, "You want me to ship it like in two shipments or three shipments? You want me to split this up?" He goes, <laughs> "No, just just send them all at once." I'm like, I, "That was like that was like a big." dance <laughs> for me like, <laughs> it was like you just landed a shark on your fucking rod and reel dude. 
That's awesome. Yeah, no, yeah. Barton, Barton, yeah, it, he scared me. He didn't buy me out, but he scared me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear you. So do you hang out at lounges or do you just smoke at the at the house? In Miami, I, I hang out at the office here mm-hmm. in Miami and then I, I hang out at the house. Nice. Um yeah, we, we all live within like, I don't know, a mile radius of each other. Ooh. So we're on each other's patios constantly. Um, right. So, I mean, yeah, we, we, we were all at the office today. Actually, it's Monday. So uh, Monday is always like Monday was the day that I, I walked into the, the, uh, the packaging department and looked at all the empty boxes and I said, fill them all. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Yeah, Mo doesn't get to work till about Wednesday, so he didn't. He wouldn't have thought of you being out of the office. <laughs> what happened? What? See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? He's sleeping right now. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't work, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but could you imagine? Like seriously, like I walked into you know some of our accounts, or some of our good accounts. There's guys like, oh, Danny, what's up? And, like they come, like three or four guys, and the owner it's like cool and whatever. Like Pete Johnson just go, let me just walk into my little this little shop right now. These guys are just well. Honestly, they probably wouldn't get up. They probably freak out. But it's, no, it's funny. It's like honestly, it's pretty casual for me. I mean, like I'm just a normal dude that smokes cigars, and half the time, actually more than half the time, they they don't know who the fuck I am. So it's actually kind of <laughs> nice. But here's here's the weird part, dude. I walked into a liquor store here in Miami, and I'm wearing a mask in the liquor store. This is like two weeks. <laughs> And I walked out of the liquor store with with a case of wine and a discount. And I walked back to the car. Yanni was waiting in the car for me. I said, "She goes, what'd you buy?" I go, "I, I got a I got a discount." <laughs> like, and she goes, "Oh yeah, the owner probably knows who you are." And I go, "How?" And she goes, "Well, he's friends with Nessa Miranda." And I go, "I'm wearing a fucking mask. How can he know who I am?" No, the guy recognized me. The guy recognized wow. me. He told me even said, every time you come in, see Rudy, and Rudy will give you a discount. I'm like, okay. So I've been back multiple times. <laughs> I'm sure you have, dude. Yeah. Okay, and I, I, don't, I want, I mean this in a completely complimentary way. So don't get pissed at me in case, <laughs> you, don't, in, in case you don't, in case you don't like this guy. But you know who? Like listening to you talk, do you know who you sound like? Seth Rogen. No, like a little bit, a little bit, but no. Dave Portnoy from Barstool. Oh, you guys right know on. who that? Yeah, yeah, Barstool. That guy's yeah. fucking hilarious. Yeah. I mean, he's off his shit. That guy. You're not off your shit, but that guy's <laughs> off his shit. He's crazy. Get some of that wine going, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm drinking tequila now. I, I just All finished right. the wine. Wet in the palate. Well. No, it was uh, Yanni and I shared a bottle of wine, um, and then I realized that okay, it's nine o'clock. I got to get on with you guys, and I I had nothing else to drink, so I figured a glass of tequila would work. And and just think about how much it opened me up. Right, <laughs> <Correct. laughs> the way to live, man. That's the way, yeah, that's the way these, I podcast. These guys, yeah, these guys can tell when I when yeah, I they, awesome they, they get spiritual. <laughs> What uh, oh. what what kind of tequila you got? You want this is a, a Casa Nobles 
extra añejo uh, aged in a Napa wine cask. Hmm. Sounds good. I have no idea, but <laughs> sounds good. It's it's actually really good. Uh, super easy to drink because I'm actually empty almost. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've only been on for what? Uh, Thirty uh, minutes. Thirty-five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Thirty minutes, and uh, my glass is empty. So we're almost empty. What yeah. uh, you're kind Yo. of a you're kind of a big wine guy. What uh, what's a uh, what's a go-to wine? Um, you know, I traditionally lean towards uh, France. Um, I've I've been collecting wine since way before I had the cigar company. Um, obviously, I did my own wines for multiple years just for for like a good vanity project to make myself feel good. Um, that's what vanity projects are. You, you do. I mean, honestly, I, I digress a little bit. My cigar brand is a vanity project because I did it because I always wanted to have a cigar brand. I always wanted to have something under my name, something that I helped create. Um, and that's the same thing that I did with wine. You know, it turned into a business. Um, sometimes you, you are happy about it and sometimes you regret getting into business altogether. But, uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, when, when you light up something you've done or you, you drink something you've done, you really feel pride in it. And that's, that's the end goal, right? Yeah. I think that's all. I think that's really how all brands start. It's really about, personal pride and it like when i started mine it wasn't about business it was about creating something that i could put a stamp on and if i made an extra paycheck out of it it was the bonus right mm -hmm. so still to this day when i when i put out a cigar i put it out because i love it the bonus is when people actually like it too mm -hmm. Sure. That's a good way to think about it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very small-minded when it comes to business. I've never <laughs> really wanted to be a big company. I, I'll let my, my Cuban family do that. Uh, they become a monster. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're, we're a very small company. I mean, we have uh, between uh, the office and me, it was four people. And then I tag on my brother and, and Dan. That's six people total, and two of the guys are are you know meant to be on the road or, or you know talking with the reps or you know helping right. me out with substantial equivalents or whatever <laughs> data entry. <laughs> so I, I always go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say we've always been very you know, small minded in the sense of like, we're, we're business, but at the same time, we need to be more like family than anything. Yeah, man, that's good. Makes business not so much a business too. Well, I mean, what's the old saying that if you can actually do something that you love, you're not really working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love what I do. I mean, I, I love the people that I work with. I love, uh, the crew that works with me. I love, uh, the family that I'm part of, uh, produces all my product because I, I don't produce shit. I, I rely on a great family to produce product for me. 
but for me, for me at the end of it, it's like the excitement of trying all the new stuff, like mm-hmm. the new, the new rappers, the new, the new fillers that, that they've been growing. I mean, when we started, we were buying product and then eventually the Garcia started growing a little bit of tobacco and it was enough to put like maybe one leaf in a cigar here and there. And eventually it became like all the filler is Garcia grown. And then eventually it became all the filler binder is Garcia grown, except for the occasional, you know, monkey wrench that we throw in when we, when we throw in San Andreas on a binder or something like that, because we double bind everything. So it's, it's easy to manipulate the blend with, uh, you know, taking one of the binders and throwing San Andreas in there to, to give it a little bit more pop and zip. And then mm-hmm. now all, all the wrappers that they're growing, that's like the bonus. Mm-hmm. Now it's like really exciting. Like the, the cigar I just finished, I just lit up a new cigar, but the cigar I just finished was a cigar that the family is producing one size of for a uh, a special project. And uh, they gave me three different samples to, t- to try them, and I, I was fixated on one of them. And that's the one I've... I decided I'd finish a day later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, sometimes I mean, you got to take your homework home. It's it's yeah, but, I mean it's really exciting to just to to taste all the different things that they have going on. Uh, they've become like you know, they've become growers uh, almost more than just producers. Pete, so uh, what would you be doing without cigars? Uh, right now, not much. <laughs> if, uh... <laughs> I mean, uh, honestly, yeah. I mean, we all we all laugh about that, and I laugh about it all the time. Like, if I were, if I have to go back in time to 2003, and I didn't land on this this you know guy by the name of Pepin Garcia. I was looking for my way out of the industry. Mm-hmm. I was actually looking for something, something else that I would excel at because I thought I lost every chance to do something great in the cigar industry. And then now, now was one, one magic that day. That was, a, was it true that that was adult film and that's why you were in LA? That was a joke. But, oh. Uh, <laughs> oh, was <laughs> no. it really? I'm just fucking with you. Was that really a that was a thing? No, we we joked. We we I would I would occasionally joke to people. No, I I never did it. Occasionally, people are like, "Well, what have you done?" And I'm like, "Well, you ever hear of a guy by the name of Sicky Nicks?" And they're like, "No." They're like Nikki Six. I go, "No, Sicky Nicks." He, I go, "Porn star," and they're like. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah. So if you if you look at me with long hair, and then you look at this this guy that played that, that went by Sick Nicks, you you might you might go, well maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really it was just really me just poking fun at myself of like, I you know I, I at the end of the day I don't really care, and if if people want a good laugh, here you go. <laughs> But you were, you, 
And no, I'm like I, I was a, I was an extra. I was an extra in movies. Um, so this, right? this this dates back to early '90s though. So early '90s when I was in my band, you know, we we didn't have money. I worked at a clothing store for a, a brief period, and I I got dude. I, I it was kind of like an alternative clothing store. Uh, the uh, it was in Westwood, California. The the owners were were actually a gay couple. They were super the most amazing people I've ever met. Um, every time I would go down the street to lunch at a, at Jerry's Famous Deli in Westwood, like there would always be some asshole in the restaurant, like trying to pick a fight with me or or call me a you know some derogatory name because I had black fingernail polish and long hair. I was a pretty, a pretty boy. Um, but I grew up in a culture where it didn't matter to me, you know, like it's what I do. And as I, I grew older, you know, like back, back to the, 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 the movie stuff, when we were in the band, aside from, aside from the, the work that, that we all did during the day, we would get called on casting for extras and one day I actually played Axl Rose in a, in a, uh, in a uh, TV show called Parker Lewis Can't Lewis. Oh, my God. I remember that show. And um, I thought I was rich, man. I got paid like $385 to sit there for 14 hours or 15 hours. <laughs> and I realized I ended up getting like golden time because I, I had to sit there for so long without without a break and – and it was literally like 30 seconds of filming and they're like, okay, you're good to go. But I did, I did a lot of stuff. I did Wayne's world. I did Beastmaster two, um, whatever happened to baby Jane, the remix or whatever it was called, you know? So like any, anytime the casting director would call us, we would go. And I think that the glorious days is when we could spend two or three days or even four days on a movie set and actually eat with the cast and crew because we didn't have money for food. So that, Damn. that was like, so we would, we would, we found a way to bring like Tupperware to the, the sound set. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Do you watch those movies that you were in and, and just kind of laugh about that experience though? I, I do not. I don't like look them up, but I, I do laugh about them. Like we were on our bus tour and we had a TV in our, our front lounge of the bus and uh, Wayne's world was on. <laughs> so we, we made a whole thing about it. I get a kick a out of it. Bus it, was, movie it, was anyway. a, it was a fun, it was a fun thing. Uh, it, it helped us pay our rent and our, uh, our electrical bill, but uh, it wasn't our focus, obviously. So is your band's music still available somewhere? Uh, yeah, but I won't tell you where it's available. <laughs> <laughs> Some, somebody's got a note. They'll hook no, us up. No, so there was a, a, a guy out of Hollywood that decided to, like, remix, or not remix, but uh, take all the old master tapes of Sunset Strip bands that never really made it to the big time. It was just basically about Sunset Strip in the early nineties or late eighties, early nineties. 
And uh, yeah, he put out an album. And <laughs> the funny thing about it is like he, he chose every song he chose were some of the more popular songs on our on our demos and our whatever that we were doing. Not even EPs because it never got re- released. Um, and, <laughs> and he actually, uh, when you hear it, you're like, oh, there's a transition completely as far as as far as style goes, but also our voices started to change. Like I was the guy, like you listen to me now, but that was the guy that actually sang the high notes in the background. Don't ask me to even touch those notes now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's out there in the, uh, in the webs. Do you, do you still keep up with your old band guys? Like, did any of them yeah. like get a career or is one living under a bridge or, uh, well, okay. So one of them, one guitar player was actually going to, uh, UCSD for like mechanical engineering and that he left school to become a rock star. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> he's still, job. he's still one of those brilliant, like mind guys. He he's, I think he's, been with multiple companies that have have uh, sold their technologies uh, to different to different uh, bigger companies. Um, two of my my buddies in the band, uh, one other guitar player and the singer, both became teachers. Um, don't ask me how that happened. <laughs> it's really um, easy to get into. <laughs> my the the other guitar player that became. The teacher actually uh, just released another, another like EP or whatever album into the the universe, um, but just for himself. He he actually got signed by Travis Barker. His band got signed like, after we broke up, and they he started a new band. They got signed by Travis Barker and toured like the world with uh, Blink One Eighty Two and uh, No Shit. And uh, Gwen Stefani and her band, what was it called? Uh, Someone helped no me. Doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Thank you. And then uh, he got back from his first tour, like in Europe, and he literally just like said, "I'm done." <laughs> he wow. realized, yeah, he realized it wasn't for him, and he became a yeah. teacher. But oh, I guess sure. the drummer became a, like a real estate appraiser, and in '08, the real estate housing in Vegas where he was living crashed. And uh, now he, I think he's, I don't know what he's doing right now, but he's like the drummer, one of those amazing drummers that can pretty much do everything. Um, so I'm sure he's got pretty solid ground, but we, we keep up every once in a while. We, we were threatening to get back together for a reunion show last year, but uh, I, I kind of nixed it because uh, the band that, that we were going to open up for wanted to to open up the show which was like at 7 p.m i go no yeah i'm not going on at 7 (laughs) p.m so there's enough musicians in the cigar industry that you guys could do like a like a a band at like pca or something right get get a group together yeah i i would say no (laughs) none of them them like each other it was worth a show no no we we actually a lot of us a lot of us like each other um like you know, Matt Booth is a bass player. I'm a bass player. Um, Terry Coleman, my sales rep in Los Angeles, is actually a great guitar player. 
he actually played uh, at at the trade show one year for a CAO party. Uh, CAO did a party with Calibri and Perdomo one year, and Terry Terry blew me away. Like he he can shred. Um, the uh, Michael Herklotz is an amazing drummer. Uh, Ernie Carrillo, drummer. Uh, Carlito plays keyboards and a little bit of everything else <laughs> nowadays. Um, Nick Perdomo, drummer. There's too many drummers and bass players. That's the problem. Yo, know, I do a mean triangle. <laughs> cowbell. More cowbell? All day. Oh, cowbell. Sure. <laughs> Damn it. Cowbell first. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know what? It's funny, though, because a bunch of the guys got up to play at a show one time and they were pushing me to get up there. And I said, listen, man, I'm, I'm, I'm nobody's monkey. Like I, I, I don't get up and like, if I'm going to play in a, in a group, I'm going to sit down and learn something instead of embarrassing myself on stage, not knowing what we're playing. So it's one of those things that I just choose not to, not to do it unless I'm really rehearsed. Uh, yeah. Makes sense. Nothing. So we have a we have a topic that. Oh, go ahead. No, I said nothing like getting on stage and suck. <laughs> yeah, that's not fun. Yeah, Cow knows about that. That's that's pretty much all I do. <laughs> yeah, that's my whole life. Stage. Yeah, that's what he does. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I, I appreciate you as friends. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so we talked about the pants question, but we have a, another topic that we got into it about that I'm curious on your thoughts on. Uh, it's a deep question, very philosophical. Uh, is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> what do you think? Wow. Uh, that's a tough one. It sure is. Um, okay. <laughs> take, I, your, take, take your time with I, it, too. Don't, I, can don't really, I can really look at both sides to me it's a hot dog a hot dog's a hot dog but because it's between two slices of bread technically between two uh, uh, portions of bread i guess it could be a sandwich but i i'm gonna lean towards no it's on a, it it's on a different type of of bread and it, the bread is like a u and uh right so it's no not two hot dogs a hot dog yeah, it's it's one connected piece. So, I'm gonna so say a hot, to, dog, a hot dog. What about, what about Jimmy John's? Order a, a club sandwich. <laughs> is that is that a hot dog? Oh, what? Fuck you, cow. Because <laughs> I don't cut the bread in half. He's right. Oh come on. Man. <laughs> oh, they just. Hey, listen, man. We we uh, we eat pan cubano con tortilla, and we don't slice the bread all the way through either. <laughs> So, good hot dog. Hot dog. That's not a hot dog. <laughs> Drew, you probably have better topics than that. Next um, question. Hey, uh, do you do you ride motorcycles? No, I tried, and I realized I was really horrible on them. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I I dumped I dumped a Ducati. Ooh, um, oh, nice. Yeah, and then I gave it to my my employee Tony who still works with us and he got hit on it. So I realized that the bike was cursed. So mm. yeah, <laughs> he still owns, he still owns the bike. 
uh, we built a bike at the office uh, that still sits in the office, but uh, no one rides it anymore. Uh, that was we. That was a question from a from a listener. Yeah, I mean, listen, I have a lot of respect for people who ride motorcycles. I just realized that that I would need to sit there and and really pay attention to it. Um, I just realized that I was not that great at it, so I figured it's better for me to be in four walls. <laughs> you know what the craziest thing was, man, about motorcycle guys? When I was working retail, those guys loved fucking Java Mints. Those guys would come in and buy Java Mints and get on their motorcycle. Like I'm talking like, you know, Harley dudes. They love Java Mints, man. Yeah, they but those, are Chicago, those are Chicago bikers, bro. When well, I listen, tell you, um, when I tell you, you saw what happened done, yesterday. No. <laughs> well, Dan, Danny's done a lot of events around the country. I know this, uh, but I've done so many events in the early days of the brand. I would walk into a store and do an event and try to introduce people to a, a product that they never heard of, mm-hmm. and there would be truckers and bikers coming in and grabbing handfuls of Cuba Cubas. Yeah, <laughs> and. I'm, just to try to convince them to try something different was impossible. Forget it. Yeah. Yeah. You have a better chance of winning the lottery. I like the I like the flavors. Danny, you got a good question. Are we gonna? Hey, we gonna talking. ask Pete that? Keep talking. I might I might break up for a second, but I'm going to get another drink. Oh, All right. Time to I can, reload. I can still hear you. I can still hear yeah, you. Yeah. So yeah, what was it? The uh, Mary here, Mary. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that would be appropriate. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> Nobody listens to our show, so just go ahead and answer. Uh, you got a, you got a I got gotcha. one, kill one, marry one, and fuck one. Jojo, half wheel, and coop. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! This is the best question in the history of podcasts. Kill one, yeah, this is up marry one, or what was the other and, one? The, and, and or fuck one, and, and fuck one. So <sighs> pick one for Yeah, no, it's oh, dude. I don't even know how to answer that question. <laughs> oh, that's great. I, mean, I love that it makes you uncomfortable. That's probably the best part. It's of so it's so uncomfortable. I, I, you're gonna fuck coop. I know you're gonna fuck coop. Just say it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a little awkward. Uh, I would probably kill Charlie first. Um, <laughs> whoa, whoa, I said half real. I said half real. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I got you. Okay. No, I mean, can you, can you describe the flavor experience involved in that? <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would actually marry Coop because I know he's pretty grounded, even though he's a little awkward. He's a little grounded. Um, yeah. I don't know. The other, the other two, the other two, I'm a little, I'm a little confused by. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's doing Eric from the dojo for sure. I, I, I've seen Eric with his wife though, so I think he'd be really nurturing. So I'd probably marry. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll lean. I'll lean towards that maybe. But yeah. and that yeah, was awkward. Depending on depending on the drink, Charlie Minato's hair could have me thinking he's something else. So I might be okay there. <laughs> I mean, that means I'm killing Coop, I guess. 
Wow. I just I wanted to answer with you so that it, the spotlight wasn't just on you. <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll put my name on. <laughs> Actually, I would love to hear Skip's take on that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> is, is there an option for kill, kill, kill? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Genocide I, is I, not an option. I, I think it, it. I think it might. I, I think it might turn into like an hour-long debate. But I'd love to hear. <laughs> is a Opinion on it. Well, no, he had a, he would have an hour for each person. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah, that's that's a that's an odd question, a tough question yeah. to answer. Um, I thought you were gonna ask me like you know Nancy Reagan, you know, <laughs> you know stuff like that, you know, like weird, <laughs> just some random, not not cigar industry people. <laughs> 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 and and not dudes. Yeah. <laughs> well, in fairness, I said the actual company, so like Cigar Dojo, but you know, is okay. Okay. Uh, no, I think we've already recorded your answers. So <laughs> no, no. If we go just by company, if we just go by company, I would right. No, I'm just going to leave it. <laughs> we all know the next monster release is now going to be the Danny Vasquez. <laughs> Danny rated Danny Vasquez. Oh, I don't know. Shit. Man, I don't want to get sued by Danny because I used DV for the initials for the monster. You, you goddamn right. Everybody else is suing for everything else. Dude, it's amazing. But that's the latest one for me. I mean, not the latest. This has been going on for over a year. I've been dealing with Monster Energy. Wait, what? Oh, shit. Even yeah, though you came yeah. around first. Well, who was first? No, well. don't care. Monster, Monster, I think, came out. The Monster drink came out, from what I think I researched, maybe 2006. Um, Monster's cigars came out in 08. They're in different class of goods, but... I was a I drank Rockstar Energy. I never I never paid attention to Monster Energy. I never knew about it. Monster Monster Energy came became popular after uh, the Monster Cigar started. So I'm pretty safe there. But it's in different industries. My my biggest problem with it right now is that they have like you know three point three billion dollars in sales a year, and I I don't have uh, maybe a fraction of that. <laughs> yeah. You sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, way, way less than a fraction of that. And then uh, they uh, they they just pay lawyers to do whatever the fuck they want. It's yeah, it's yeah. it's astonishing, like the stupid questions I get from their lawyers of like, mm -hmm. you know, now they're they're trying to claim the color of the fucking rainbow. Um, so to a point where I've actually kind of like come to a point where like you, you don't like the green I use on Jekyll and I'd uh, I'll change it to fucking yellow I don't care <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah. I I did tell them if they wanted the name monster in the cigar industry in class 34 that I would be willing to accept an offer <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's smart move. but they, yeah, they but can't I mean the reality is there's no confusion in the marketplace nobody not. would ever no. Nobody would ever fucking equate Monster, the Monster Cigar Series and Monster Energy. I mean, you think Monster Energy, you think, like, trucks. 
and like bro dozers and stuff like that. Well, here's the best part about that. In one of their letters to my lawyer, they sent examples of people smoking cigars with a monster energy drink in the picture. And not one cigar was a tatuaje or a monster. It was it one was a Roma craft, one was one was a Caldwell, uh, uh, and I think my, one of them might have been like a room one hundred and one. Like they, they, there was no connection there at all. I was like, you got to be kidding me! Like they don't even know what, you know, they're. Do- this is like, I, I believe that maybe the FDA and the Monster Energy's lawyers have something in common. They're both <laughs> fuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They got paid to send you that letter, though. That's right. Mm-hmm. Billable hours. Dude, yeah. I... I, I took two hours right there. I've gotten, yeah. I've gotten sent the best letters in the industry. Except for... I, I can't probably compete with Carlito, but... But... I got sent a letter from a French winery uh, or a French chateau, a very big French chateau. And it's really... It really hurts because I still have a bunch of their wine in my collection. <laughs> I have to drink oh. again. These motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> what were they trying to say? Uh, they didn't like the, the fact that I used La Mission. La Mission. Plus, it means, you know, the mission of Atelier, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they have a wine called La Mission Oprion. Uh, so. Because because we were inspired by the great wines of France, they thought we were like using their name to uh, to sell our brand. I, I, I basically that was a, a good conversation of go fuck yourself. <laughs> I mean, find find me ten cigar smokers that even know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. No, I got I got assist from Tops from. For, uh, for uh, the little monster cards, <laughs> that I can sort of see, I guess. Yeah, because they were, they were comparative to. I didn't know the tops bought. Uh, what's it called? The uh, garbage pail kids. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and to be perfectly honest, uh, that was a mistake on on my part because when when the artist sent me all the artwork, I said, oh yeah, that, all that looks good. I didn't realize the artist like took a lot of liberty and. And the back of the cards looked identical to the file folder garbage belt kids thing. I was like, okay, it's not malicious. My bad. Uh, what do I need to get it, you know, to, to go away with this? They're like, uh, send us $1,000 for our legal fees and sell everything before April 15th. And this is the, the fucked up part about it is that I had already packed all the boxes in Nicaragua. And I told Jaime about the situation and he unpacked 4,000 boxes of little monster cards, which I was going to sell before April 15th. And, uh, people started calling me going, I didn't get a fucking card in my box. (laughs) So that's why I didn't have cards in 2012. I didn't have cards in half the boxes. So wait, are there 4,000 cards sitting in a warehouse somewhere? Hmm. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that that was a clear like I gotta ask him about this. <laughs> no, yeah, they, there are a shit ton of cards sitting down uh, somewhere in the the 
the delves of the giant factory. But I can't do anything with them, and they can't come from me in any way. Yeah. Read into that however you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've had, I've had a lot of... I think the funnest one, though, back to the French one, they actually sent me the letter in French and English. So for me, that was like super cool, like a good framing art piece, you right? Mm, yeah, you made it. I kind of, I kind of felt a little bit like Carlito and Opus X with Opus Wine, uh-huh. but I realized I didn't want to deal with a, a battle like he had. So that was an easy way to just to get rid of it. It's been it's been an interesting seventeen years, man. Oh no doubt. But I, I, you know what? I'm I'm very fortunate and happy that I'm I'm still here, and people actually still like the product. I mean, at the end of the day, the factory's got to make good product for people to still enjoy it. Whatever the fuck I do, um, I don't think is going to change that. I, I'm hoping that that people appreciate the product before the you know. The, the people behind it more than anything. And 17 years ago, man, you got to think about how much has changed. I mean, just in the world, but the way that, you know, like social media now, you know, in the last four or five years has really kind of taken off. Right. So it's like, it's, it's almost for me as a, as a newcomer in the industry, it's like, man, how, you know, how did, I mean, obviously I know you have to you travel from store to store, the the way of being able to get your name out there so much faster and and product news and, and tell people you know when stuff is going to drop right without door to door sales or you know however it was uh, just so much has changed in the industry in seventeen years for you you know it must be like when you kind of sit back and think like man there was no posting a picture and you know generating a buzz and sales about it before you even left the factory right it was. Um, yeah, I mean, Danny, uh, the reality is that we could post a picture on something that we believe believe in, first of all. Right. We, we know in our hearts it's a great product. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it could be something so cool that, that we post a picture of, and next thing you know, 500 guys want to buy it. Right. Uh, or 500 people, sorry. 500 people want to buy it. <laughs> uh, it's it, it has changed a lot. Um I mean, it's changed so much, and, and of course, the times we're living in now, like, I, I called off just uh, two weeks ago, I called off the rest of the year, I said, listen, none of us are traveling, except for, like, a weird, you know, circumstance, like, I have contracts to do a couple big smokes that I'm sure will be canceled, uh, but I still am obligated to do them, so... If they come up, I'm going to be there. Um, I just don't think they're going to be there. Like, I just don't, right now, and especially in this time, I don't think anybody needs to get on a plane and, and uh, go into stores and, and pitch the product because you can you can easily do everything over Skype or Zoom or whatever these technologies are and, right. and get your message across. Um, I think it, it kind of woke everybody up, though. I think everybody needs to take a 
a little bit of time to just kind of relax and and enjoy life because of the shit I've been seeing lately. I'll tell you, man, some of this stuff's been scaring the hell out of me. An earthquake in North Carolina, the Beirut yeah. explosion mm-hmm. scared the yeah. fuck out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all of us are just kind of like, let's do what we can, live uh, as much as we can, do the best we can in the product we make, and and I think there's people out there that can appreciate the fact that uh, we're all tied up in the same the same bullshit right now, and uh, let's just smoke a cigar and relax. Yeah. Yeah, take it easy. What? Yeah, you know, I, I talk to tons of stores every you know every, every day, every week, and, and some of these guys are actually having some of the best months they've ever had um, uh, as far as, you know, sales-wise. And it's, and it's just funny how people are doing that, right? Like, they're staying home. They're, you know, potentially not working or working from home and are buying more cigars now than, than they probably would have. Uh, in any in a regular year at this time, so I think I think one big one big shift in the industry, and the industry shifted a lot during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the local stores have been benefiting because people have been concentrating on local, right? And those lo- local stores that normally would be maybe hurting because of the exposure levels of the bigger online companies they're not like those stores are doing great business and i've I've seen a pickup with a lot of locals and to be perfectly honest it's like my business with the big guys has been always fairly decent but i've always kept the the big guys to a small percentage of my portfolio because i don't want them controlling my my product right Right. So it's easy for me to to just, you know, shift, you know, inventory or shift allocation to the people that that really have been supporting the product a lot. And the big guys are always going to be there. But at the same time, they 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 always for me, they've always known that I will never like just feed the pond. I'll never stock the pond right like i got an order the other day for 80 boxes of grand news and my my sales distribution manager um at the office responded to the rep and said get the fuck out of here <laughs> he's like there's and and i applauded him for what he responded because he said not only will they not get them, but no one, no, no matter how big they are or no matter how loyal they've been, will get that many boxes of that cigar right now. Wow. It's plain and simple. Mm-hmm. So have you I, been I like doing a lot at of... a certain level? What's that? <laughs> he just he was going Rich was going to ask you a question and he just got booted. Oh, he's back. No, I keep getting kicked oh. off this call. <laughs> I wish I, I could say it was me doing, doing it, a lot of not. Zoom kind of chats with people and all that stuff. If you've been, you know, doing events that way or how that's been going? Yeah, a lot actually. Um, some of them, some of them have been amazing. Um, you know, some of them are just very casual. You know, few people on, 
we're having a good time just talking, you know, shooting the shit, kind of like what we're doing now. Um, but some of them, like the amount of people that step onto these forums, you're like, oh, you must have bought the premium packages of Zoom to have this many people in the room. <laughs> it's it's pretty impressive. I mean, people are looking for something to do. And what do we do? What do we do in times of struggle, right? We we drink and smoke. I, I hate to say it, but yeah, that's that's uh that's the nature of our beast. And mm-hmm. uh, it's nice. It's actually really nice to see a lot of people that you don't like. Danny knows this. When we go into stores anywhere in the country, we end up getting in a conversation with maybe five or ten guys, and there's another thirty or forty guys in the room that want to like ask questions too, but they're either scared to get in the conversation or the end of the, you know, the end of the night comes and they, they just like leave before they can ask the question. I want to hit everybody in that room. And I'm sure Danny does too. I want to talk to everybody in that room and make them all feel like we're part of the same family with the zoom stuff. I can sit on a chat with, you know, 75 people and, have a conversation and shoot the shit with 75 people instead of, you know, feeling like the guy. And I I usually, you know, when you get to see their faces, unlike this, when you get to see their faces (laughs) and you see that they're being quiet, I, I usually get, it's nice because you get to call them out. You're like, Hey, Joe, you having a good time? What are you doing tonight? Like, what are you smoking? Uh, You got any questions? Instead of like yelling across the room in a cigar bar, and you see that guy that's in the corner that seems like he wants to talk to you, but you know, it's, it's, you got five guys like pinning you in the corner, asking you questions about cigars. You know what the, some of my favorite events, um, I did one with, with, uh, uh, JD and, and this uh, pretty much the same event with you. I, I don't think there was a dinner at civil, um, mm. in DC. And, uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you remember, like, how what it looked like, you know, sort of like how they had set up the room. But for you guys that, that obviously were not there, you know, it was we all kind of sat around. They set up uh, like seats. Did they set up two different rooms? Yeah. Yeah. So it was yeah. you and I think you were in the red room or the skull room, whatever they call it. Um, yeah. But yeah, you went around and it was just the it skull was just room? a way. Yeah. So like the, <clears throat> the wallpaper is like, it looks like red and black and you can't really tell when you go up to it. It's like, little it's just skulls and it's it's pretty dope well it's like that old velvet like wallpaper yeah. style it's not the store is now not around anymore but uh, no was, yeah civil just, clothes but that was a yeah. cool that was a cool feel to it though man because right. because you know honestly you were you were kind of sectored off into a section to talk to people but at the same time you can kind of go mingle throughout everything else and and say hi and answer questions and shoot the shit with people. I, I actually, I miss that place. I was really dope. Um, but yeah, it was, I, that's, I, that's when I kind of learned like, man, this is, this is the right way to do an event as opposed to um, what's funny is another event we did or you did and at tobacco leaf. It was, at, you, it was, at, you had did an interview with George Brightman. That's how long yeah. that, this was. Um, and you know, that is kind of your typical, uh, event where you know, people are waiting, waiting in line to talk to you and say, Hey, I really like your cigars. And you say, yeah, thanks. And you know, the, the 
prototypical one, which is cool, but it's just like, okay, you know, whatever. But that type of sit down event, um, and the one with JD was actually like a dinner, which was really cool. Uh, yeah. A lot more expensive though. Um, but that's when I'm like, this is, this is how you get deeper with people, right? Like this is how you, you get to know about them, but then, you know, sell your, your, I guess your passion for your brand that way. And I've always actually appreciated those a lot more than kind of the uh, regular. I think there's nothing better than sitting in a room and just shooting the shit with people. Yeah. When it becomes a little too much structure to it, you, you kind of lose it. Although the, the, the flip side of that, when you look at a guy like Michael Herklotz, who is like brilliant, <laughs> like absolutely brilliant at what he does. Like I, we had a conversation about Michael the other day and I said, Michael's the guy that's like the ambassador. Like he's the guy that can walk in the room and make everybody feel like they're rich. Like he's that guy that like you're in the room with this guy because there's a status of, of what you do. It doesn't matter what you do, but you're, if you're in that room at a fancy dinner that he's doing with wine and, and cigars, he makes you feel great about being there. And it's not a selling thing. It's about hanging out and learning. Right. And I think, I think education in our industry is one of the biggest points that, that everybody has to remember because without, without knowledge, there's no power. Right. And, and Danny, I don't know if you can agree with this, but I always say knowledge is power. And when when you tell the consumer what you're putting into a product, maybe you don't go into the secrets, but you go into the basics. Right. They feel better about what they're purchasing. And they actually they come out of the event knowing more about not just your product, but the industry. Right. Here's one thing that you always did that I think is so important is you made, and you can correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but you made your brand more about having a personal connection with people. And I feel like the American consumer versus like, let's say Europe or Middle East or whatever um, international markets that somebody might be in, the American consumer really seems to to attach themselves to not only a product, but also the people that are associated with that product. And I think that you were like really one of the first guys to give that more personal approach. What made you do that? Well, I, I'll tell you the first guy that was really the, the one that I, I, I wouldn't say he was the first guy, but he was, he really led the way uh, for recent people was Rocky. Dude, Rocky was always the personal approach. Rocky's that guy that can go in a room and and not only do just the hangout session, but he can also do the fancy dinner. When I go to Europe and do events, it's it's super awkward for me because I got to put on a sport coat. <laughs> like, <laughs> I gotta, <laughs> like I, I, I wouldn't say I'm that European guy. Like I, I did I did five what was it no four events in Italy and they were all fabulous, like just fucking fabulous. But I went in being me. I still had a, a jacket on, but the, the expression on everybody's face, the, the, just the questions that came out in the, in the conversations, it, it was to the point where 
like I didn't even know how much more I could talk because the guys in the room, they're very quiet. They want to learn. They want to hear what you're talking about. But at some point, they just want you to stand up and speak. And I'm, I'm the type of guy that wants to get in the corner with five guys and just shoot the shit, right? So when I have to get up in front of, you know, 50, 60 people uh, to do, like, a presentation, I'm like, where's Michael Herklotz? Where's Rocky? <laughs> like, I need to <laughs> call, call in the bullpen. <laughs> yeah. Tag him in. Yeah, Europe's a different animal, man. Like, uh, it's it's fun, and I appreciate the cultures across the world. But like, when it comes to events, for me, like, I think a lot of times people expect something different from me when I walk in a room, and I want to just kind of hang out and shoot the shit. So, my best experiences were when the event would be over and we would just be hanging out by the bar with a bunch of Italians drinking Amaro's and having a good time and just talking about nothing other than maybe I have some questions for them instead of them asking me about questions about the cigars. That's awesome. How was, uh, you know, cause I haven't, I actually haven't, well, other than the trade show kind of seeing you, but, um, I, what has been the reaction? And fuck, I guess I'm like two years late now. With with hand rolled, like how did that kind of end? Like or not end, I guess. But man, I was going to ask what, about that too. They've been teasing new stuff. Yeah, it's it's still going. I was going. I mean, yeah. it's still going. I mean, the response level on on uh, on you know Amazon Prime and and iTunes and stuff like that has been really big lately because of. Uh, Everybody's at home looking for stuff to watch. We were actually hoping we were actually hoping that Netflix would finally pick it up because, you know, they they're gonna look for content eventually. But they they keep on finding all this drug shit. But they they don't <laughs> want to put any cigar stuff on on Amazon on, on uh, Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. They got to draw the line somewhere. The response has been right. good. I mean. People, the people that watch it love it. Uh, I, I that was one of my best, you know, my favorite experiences of, of being in the industry and, and working so hard on something uh, like that. But at the end of the day, I had an opinion. I had a checkbook, and Jesse and Steve, who who actually wrote and directed the whole thing, uh, did all the magic, along with Serge, who did all the music stuff for it. Um, uh, for me, it was like producing something uh, that would carry forward in the industry uh, for a lifetime and not just a short period. Because I watched a lot of old documentaries in the cigar industry that were really horrible. Um, <laughs> and I, I thought, I mean, I think the saddest part about the documentary was the fact that we couldn't get to Honduras, and that was a logistic problem that we had and I even had a conversation with Christian that you know one of the things that I wanted to do was get his dad on film and uh, Christian Iroa if we're if you have to know who he is Um, because his dad's one of those you know iconic characters that no one knows about Uh, but he's uh, 
he's one of those guys, you know, that you, you just like everybody should learn from. Right. So I think, I think it's, it's carried forward really well and it's still poignant, you know, like it still carries. Uh, I don't think we have to worry about, uh, you know, it, it losing traction. That's for sure. But it's, it's doing well. And, and I'm happy to see that it's actually people, more and more people are watching it. That's why we've been yeah. teasing it more lately. Yeah, they talked it, about I mean, like a TV show, didn't they? Well, they just kicking yeah. that around. Yeah, um, Jesse and Steve have been trying to work on a uh, docu series. Um, so multiple episodes where they concentrate on like one manufacturer. Um, problem is, it's a lot of work. And it's, it takes a lot of money to put something like that together. It'd be cool and as I, hell, but yeah, getting that money back seems hard. Yeah, when I went into it, I, I looked at it as like an expense and not a uh, a, a thing to make money off of. Okay. Yeah, it was definitely not an investment. It was an investment for, I think, the industry's future for me. Uh, I, I looked at it as like the best commercial for the industry. Uh, I introduced Jesse and Steve to everybody when they were in Nicaragua. Steve Saka, Skip. Actually, Steve, Skip, and, and I, and Jesse and Steve had a conversation at the, at the festival one night. Um, and I was trying to, I was basically trying to pitch everybody to Jesse and Steve because I wanted, I wanted as much content as possible. Um, and there's a lot of content that actually got cut out because some interviews were not as good as others. But uh, I thought they did a good job. Well, just know I'm available for the next one if you guys need any B-roll stuff. <laughs> Hilarious. Actually, dude, I mean, honestly, the, the Roma Craft story would be a great story. Yeah. I mean, it, it would. I mean, there's a lot there. There's there's a lot there. There's a, a lot of it. Uh, I'll say this out loud. A lot of it has to do with you. And, uh, oh, <laughs> I don't handle compliments well. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I, no I mean, you know, it's, it's, it was, a, it was a struggle and they, they, you know, move forward and they're, they've always made great cigars. Um, or you have always made great cigars. The, uh, you know, it's, it's really about, uh, it's really about where it goes from here. You know, yeah. I'm hoping this industry moves forward comfortably. Yeah, so much question, like just so many looming questions, right? Like, uh, we'll find out soon, I guess. It's coming. I'm hoping within a couple of days. Yeah. Hey, the worst case scenario is that. That we all have to file our SE documents and uh, be done with it, right. and we wait. But uh, retailer, I'll say this out to all the retailers that are out there listen that might listen that <laughs> if you think that you need to get rid of something today because September 9th is coming, don't bother because there's no way the FDA is going to be able to do anything. <laughs> right. Plus, plus <laughs> it should be illegal because the, 
the sell-off period should be very long on this. Shit, people are still selling monsters from three years ago. You think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're just going to have to take stuff off the shelf that they've already paid taxes on and all of that? No, it's it's just stupid. It's just yeah. all stupidity. Yeah, it's nonsense. Yeah, we're going to no, take that. There's a lot of great stories. Give us one. No, I mean, there's a lot of great. No, there's a lot of great stories in the industry as far as like startup companies who did something, actually made a movement, and and actually carried forward, like actually lasted. Um, Mo, you could be the next one. (laughs) We'll see, man. On the way. You're doing the right thing. You're making good product. You believe in it. That's all that matters. Yeah, absolutely. You have simple marketing, nothing fancy. It's really about the product more than it is the packaging. At the end of the day, day, we want to make a good cigar. Yes. Because we don't want consumers to be upset that we made a bad cigar. And that's Absolutely. that's my that's my mentality in the industry is like, just make fucking good cigars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you do, what you say, just make a good cigar because at the end of the day, the consumer wants to be able to appreciate a good product. Done. Yeah. Simple. Well, and if I'm buying your packaging, I'm buying one, and I have the packaging. If I'm buying your products, I'm buying a lot, and I'm smoking the hell out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to give you uh so Pete, I just released a Maduro, and I will tell you, the gold which, standard. Which line? Which line? Uh, the Patina Maduro. Okay. So I and the gold standard for that was the Cajonu 2012 Broadleaf, because when I worked retail, that was my default recommendation for Broadleaf, and, and to this day, when I go visit retailers, I still say. That nobody does, and I'm not listening. Man, I'm not like pumping smoke up your ass. This is stuff that these guys. I've that's been the saying this show. on the podcast for years. <laughs> yeah, that's the after. I'll yeah, but, the, but the grand, but, the grand Kohonu, the grand Kohonu broadleaf was only for for Germany at one point. Eventually, it broadened out to, uh, you know, most of Europe. But and then we went through a broadleaf crunch to where I couldn't make it. That cigar is, I mean, you know. Look at that was the last box purchase I had. I bought wow. I bought a box from Casa de Monte Cristo in Chicago, to Holy 2012 Broadleaf. That was the last box I bought. Oh, the That's 2012s, legit. the 2012s. Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, the 2012s. yeah, yeah, yeah. Box press, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah well, you know, well that that the, the Kohonu 2012 uh, Broadleaf, we actually just started getting back uh, into the fold. We we've been out of them for easily six months. Mm-hmm. So they're just starting to come back into the fold. Uh, the broadleaf that, that Jaime acquired, uh, uh, well, purchased a lot of. Um, he got seventy nine thousand pounds of broadleaf that put into process. You guys should be all right. And we're <laughs> just starting to use it in the capacity that we want it. Um, we just we yeah we just got a shipment of broadleaf Kohonu 2012s to the point where I I texted the factory this morning and I said what do I have pending for broadleaf product because I want to want to make sure I have a good chunky order in 
<laughs> right. You know, that's another thing you're talking about people that other like consumers don't know that they that I, I wish they would get to meet like Gus Kura. Like that's a yeah. guy I wish everybody could meet. Um, Gus, I love Gus because he's no bullshit. Oh my god, man! There's Gus. no bullshit to Gus. Yeah, yeah. Like that's yeah, that's whose house I stay at when I go to SLE. I mean, the guy's just he's awesome. Yeah, he's a he's a generous person um, with everybody. Mm-hmm. Think about uh, Tyler. Be so horny. Oh yeah, be so horny, baby. <laughs> A month with Gus. Mm-hmm. Gus yeah. is just good, man. Absolutely. Gus, yeah, Gus was one of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gus was one of those guys that that helped the family out a lot because when we were buying Habano early on, no one was really mm-hmm. buying Habano. Yeah. Like Habano Ecuador for a portion of time was kind of like stay away from it but oliva had finally perfected it to where it was burning perfectly smoking perfectly smelling great everything about it was great and uh gus was gus straight up told me was like dude you know you know if it weren't for papine like a lot of people wouldn't have recognized what a recognized Havana Ecuador again because Pepin focused on it, yeah. Heavy Pepin actually asked me to to shift my production to Havana Ecuador from Corojo because we were getting shit Corojo for a while, and this was what we were going to have access to. And and right. literally, Oliva Tobacco gave us full access to everything. That's where we got our first broadly from, actually. Mm-hmm. Good people. Yeah, man. Good I mean, I don't, I don't want to speak for Gus, but he credits Papine for really revolutionizing the Nicaraguan cigar scene. I mean, there's I, a lot. I would, I would agree with that in, in stages. Yep. Obviously, I think when the embargo ended in the late 80s and it took you know, five years easily for Nicaraguan cigars to get back into the market. You know, Hoyt and Nicaragua got back in pretty quick, but Padron, when it came onto the market, well, when I say it came onto the market, it was already in the market someplace, right? But when it hit the scene in the mid-90s, Padron really just, like, threw everybody, like, what the fuck are we smoking? <laughs> like, that was the monkey wrench of like, holy shit. I brought Padrones back from the 95 trade show in Orlando to uh, the store I worked at. And I gave them to the guys in the shop and they were like, holy fuck, how'd you find the cigars? It was just some guy with one booth. My best finds in the 95 trade show were, were the guys with one booth or not even a booth. Just wandering around. He had a booth and a hammer. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the guy that didn't have a booth was uh, Rolando Reyes Jr. Rolando Reyes Jr. was walking around with a box under his arms that I thought was so cool looking because 
because it was one of those like master case boxes. And I said, what's under your arm? He goes, well, if, if you want to ask me that question, you, you have to uh, smoke a cigar with me. And that's how it was. And that's Rolando Jr. And next thing you know, I was one of seven retailers. I, I worked retail. I never owned a retail store, but I worked retail. But I was able to acquire an account with Poros Indios. And there was only seven accounts in the country. So we like controlled Poros Indios for about, I don't know, easily six months. Until I think it was Eddie Ortega, actually, who I don't know if you guys know who Eddie Ortega is. Danny might know him. Eddie of Ortega, EO, <laughs> uh, Espinosa, Ortega, mm-hmm. you know, that whole history. Eddie Ortega started working for the, the uh, Reyes family. And he actually, the story was that he looked at the, the way they're, they're, they were distributing cigars. He goes, you can't distribute cigars like this. You just sell them to a broader base, and next thing you know, we're, we don't have like the seven store exclusive. And that was like Mike's cigar. <laughs> so Gus's smoke shop where I worked, I think there might have been one place in Northern California. I can't remember. Um, Mike's cigar in in Miami. Two guys. Uh, Holtz. I can't remember who else was in there, but. It was like the heyday because, like, you know, a person he goes, gets a 93 and they can only call seven retailers. <laughs> <Pretty cool. laughs> Isn't that who uh, Jose used to work for? Yeah. 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 Jose, Jose, I call him the king of chiefs, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Jose, Jose smoked more chiefs than anybody I know in the world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Poros Indios was obviously a failing brand. I don't know why. More maybe because of the organization of the of the the company, but uh, he was so. he was about to uh, he was about to leave or about to lose his job. And the conversation I literally I think I remember this came up on a on a plane flight <laughs> coming back from Cigar Fest, and. Uh, and Yanni, I think, told her brother, like, this is the guy we need. And Jose, Jose's killed it ever since. Oh, dude, he's wow. he's a beast. So here's one last question for you, Pete, before we give you our wrap-up questions. We're wrapping what? up? I just yeah. love a new cigar. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So it, you were out in Southern California, and I always try to explain to people this, that for whatever reason, Cubans reign supreme in Southern yep. California. Any shop you go into, there's the regular humidor, and then there's, you know, the uh, other humidor, right? Um, why is that, and was that prevalent when you were there? And, and is it like a Hollywood thing, or is it, I mean, what's the deal with that? Because you still see it till today, obviously. Yeah, it was a Hollywood thing a lot. Mm-hmm. I'll uh, tell you one. Uh, there's multiple stories around that time, but I'll tell you tell you one that I actually quit my job at a cigar store because the owner of the cigar store got in two boxes of Hoyt de Monterey Double Coronas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fantastic cigar. I I inspected them. And I looked at him. I said, "These are fake." He goes, "Bill Cosby won't know." 
<laughs> and I don't know, man. I like that. Just that just kind of hit me to the like to the point where like, okay, like this just seems kind of weird. Right. He's just gonna slide over fake cigars to someone. And you know, we had clients like Bill Cosby, you know, Alec Baldwin, mm-hmm. you know, a little, little bit of everybody, right? And it just pissed me off that, that he was willing to do that. And and I I was like, Yeah, I, I can't do this. Um it's a Hollywood thing, man. Like, you know, human cigars will always be that magical fruit. Right. Um, I, I actually took one of my own cigars and repackaged it as a Cuban cigar. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I went to, uh, I, I had the J21. I had uh, access to a house in Little Havana, Miami, where I was able to go buy a, a set of bands and a, a label. And my box maker, who... In Miami, our box maker in Miami, we actually took him out of the counterfeiting business because he used to counterfeit <laughs> Cuban boxes. <laughs> nice. No, no. So like, like to me, his boxes are some of the best boxes in the world, and they're they're identical to the Cuban boxes, and that's why that's why we still make boxes with them. Um, that's amazing. In in large quantities, but. Uh, I, I just was like, hey, I need a Series D box. And he had one. He made a head. He, at that time, even then, he actually had one left over. But uh, he was already kind of getting out of it because he was making so much for us. Right. And uh, I repackaged a box of J21s as a Series D Partagas number fours. And uh, <laughs> he, like, I went into the Grand Havana room and I started passing them out. Everybody's like, what are you passing them out for? I go, I won big last night in poker. <laughs> and everybody's like, wow, these are really good series. These can you get me another box. I'm like, sure I can. <laughs> <laughs> and I had one, one buddy of mine that literally like saw me laughing about the whole situation. And he saw me halfway through the cigar and he put down the cigar and says, Fuck you! I'm never smoking one of your cigars again. <laughs> and it was last year, finally last year, I sat down with him at the club, and I had these uh, Maravas. I make a uh, a, a Marava size uh, Noea in Miami, uh, five and one eighth by forty two. And I have a, a a batch of boxes that I put aside for myself, just kind of for my retirement, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, they're kind of almost gone, but uh, I walked into the club, and I go, hey, can I give you a cigar? And he goes, yeah, sure, whatever. Fuck fuck you. But yeah, sure, whatever. And five of us were smoking them, and next thing you know, he's like, hey, can I get a couple more of those? I was like, yeah, <laughs> times have changed. But yeah, it's always been a Hollywood thing, man, at the prestige level, right? It's like you yeah. can't get it. I mean, right, right. and in Hollywood, you can get it. Listen, I blame – I hate to be political, but when – and listen, I don't believe in presidents. <laughs> I think all our presidents are fucked up, right? Yeah. But 
when <coughs> our last president allowed us to go to Cuba and allowed us to go to Europe and buy as many Cuban cigars as we want and not be taxed and not have any, you know, any problems with duty and all that shit. The accessibility of Cuban cigars, it was a boom for Cuba. And mm -hmm. it actually hurt. I think it actually hurt the domestic cigar industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Except for maybe the brand that was up and coming in the cigar industry, like, like Aroma. They were still very growing. But I believed that it actually hurt the domestic cigar industry because everyone's like, oh, I can get Cubans. Fuck right. everybody else. I can get a Cuban, a Cuban cigar. I'm not supposed to get it. But now I, I can get it. I'm going to buy five boxes. And that, that kind of pissed me off because – because the industry that we're paying duty and right. we're paying user fees and excise taxes and all this other shit. Yeah. And the Cuban cigars to whoever wants them are coming in duty free. We're like, and for good prices too. We're like, okay, we got to sit back and wait. Right. And eventually people started waking up and going, man, these Cuban cigars aren't that good or they're not as good as they no. used to. Mm -hmm. Well, when you can only smoke a quarter, you know, three quarters of a box, it's and you're paying four hundred bucks. It's tough for most people. I mean, yeah, the, the quality issue. I mean, you know, I mean, if you buy a box of Cubans, <laughs> I mean, not except for Drew, who has the fucking, you know, he's got a shamrock up his ass. But if you go yeah. out and you buy a box of Cubans, you're you know, you're not gonna be able to smoke a quarter of it or twenty percent of it. I mean, it's just how it is. Yeah. No, and the old man, uh, John Oliva Sr., in the documentary actually says it. You buy a box of Cuban cigars, and if you got through half, it was like a lucky thing, you know? You're right, yeah. <laughs> That's not verbatim, but. You know, I'll admit, though, that it's still, it's still tough to pass up, right? Like, if someone put out a spread, like, hey, bro, take a cigar, and you got some cigars, and then there's a, there's a, Fuck it, you said Partagas Series D number four, right? It's like, man, if that cigar is good, it's really good, right? And it's, so it's like, it's still hard, even for... Danny, Danny, it's not even that, dude. You go into a room with five boxes of cigars on the table, and one's a box of Roma, one's a box of Tatawai, one's a box of, you know, Opus X, one's a box of Patrons, and one's a box of, you know, my father, and then there's a box of... Cohiba in glass top, they're gonna pick the fucking Cohiba, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, the glass top is so you can see the quality inside. So. Yeah, right. No, I mean, that's the reality. I, it, like, dude, I would love to gain access to Michael Jordan because I don't know if you guys watched this, but it was super awesome to see this on camera. Mm hmm. But yep. Michael yeah. and Marvin, Michael and Marvin are smoking that Hoyo DC, and and Marvin actually says the draw is a problem, <laughs> and and Michael's like, I'm not going to give up on it, but okay, if you want to smoke a new cigar, I'll smoke a new cigar. I'm like, okay, like recognize it, recognize that there's a problem with with, with the consistency and the quality. Right. Simple, but well, that was yeah. like, you know, kind of like let's wash this under the table. Yeah, very, I, I actually enjoyed. I actually enjoyed the Marvin thing though with with Michael. He, he opened him up really well. 
You know, in that last dance documentary, he was smoking cigars in multiple scenes. It was awesome. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Thank God. You know, he's a six cigar smoker, six six cigars a day smoker. That's crazy. That's a guy you, you want to hang out with once just to have a cigar. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, even if he says, I got an hour and a half for you, you know you're going to get a cigar in, right? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got six chances each day. <laughs> No, you you got to thank Michael Jordan for promoting this the cigar culture more than anything. Because he, you know, at the end of the day, he doesn't have to. Yep. He lives. He can live a very private life, and he doesn't have to sit there and and promote the fact that he smokes and enjoys cigars. And he does. Right. That's, I don't care what he's smoking. Thank you for for promoting the culture. Right. Mm-hmm. But I would still like to make him something here in Miami and <laughs> give it to him. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he's listening to this, so. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Pete. You never know, but you uh, could be pretty damn sure. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> what, we, Don't uh, ever discount yourselves. <laughs> We, uh, oh no, we don't. Everybody <laughs> we, else does. <laughs> uh, we ask a couple questions of guests at the end here. Um, first being your, your top three cigars. They can be yours, they don't have to be yours. Um, just your favorite cigars. If you're stuck on an island and you got to take three cigars with you, what are they? Yeah, well, I have an island cigar of my own. That everybody always asks me, like if you had to add only one cigar, my Desert Island cigar is my Havana Cazadori that I make in the Miami uh, factory. Uh, brown label, it's a little punchier than the normal Miami brown labels. Um, if I had an unlimited supply of that, I'd be good. The Noea in the the five and one eighth by forty two, which is a Mareva size, has become kind of like my my cigar of choice um, for just relaxation and feeling like an old guy. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I might put this uh, this Muestra Numero Do <laughs> that Pepin and Jaime gave me yesterday. I might put that in in my my uh, my island list, but I I'm gonna say this out loud, Jaime and Pepin. I want want more to try. <laughs> One cigar never never finishes it. I you know if I had to travel back in time, I think uh, early '90s Sir Winston's from H. Hubman. Nice. Okay, that works. Um, if I had to buy a new box, I would tell you no. But in the early '90s, um, that was like a magic moment. No, that's all right. Yeah. So uh, uh, I don't know. For me, it's dude. You have to have pride in what you do, right? Mm-hmm. And if if I find a flavor profile that I really enjoy outside of my own portfolio, I usually just make it for myself. Nice. Uh, That's awesome. You can but, do that. 
but I've been making I've been making some cigars in Miami uh, in small batches recently with a a light shade uh, shade grown Corojo like in a claro color, hmm. uh, based on the original um, Miami Brown labels, and to me those smoke like early '90s Cuban cigars. Hmm. So that's that's my mood right now. If you talked to me uh, <laughs> a few years ago, it probably would have been a different answer. So uh, what we do with those is is kind of Danny's question earlier. We do a stash, a trash, and an ash of, a your, th- <laughs> of your three cigars. What was the last one? Stash. So you, you put it back in the humidor. Trash, yep. you've got to throw one away. Ash, you got to smoke one right now. What are you asking? <laughs> of your th- of your three favorite, the the three you listed, you've got to stash one back, you've got to throw one away, and you've got to smoke one right now. What uh, what would you do with each? I, I would smoke the Havana Casadori in the original brown label now. I would um, stash as many as possible of the Noea or the new Corojo Shade Groans in Miami. So that kind of plays in the same thing because I have no way is in that lineup too. <laughs> um, I would stash a bunch of those because I feel like a Mareva is like a gentleman's cigar. It's just in those classic sizes. And I would trash the Sir Winston because if I had a Sir Winston now, I, I would literally trash it. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody have some closing topics? No, no man. Pete, so you got, any, you coming on. got anything you want to say? It's really cool. If, if, yeah, man. Thank you. No, you're welcome. Thank you. But hey, when we're done recording this, you guys are recording right now, right? Yes, sir. When you're I done recording, so. stop the recording so we can just shoot the shit for a little bit. We, I, yeah, I we still have half a cigar to go. Oh, we can do that. That sounds good, that. man. We appreciate you being on, man. Thank you. No, thanks for having me. It was actually a great a great forum. Good to talk to people I haven't seen in a long time either. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's uh, episode of the Sons of Smoke Cigar Cast. Make sure you guys are checking us out on Instagram, Facebook, uh, direct message us, um, email the Sultans of Smoke at gmail.com if you got any questions, comments for the show. And we will catch you guys next week. Thanks. <laughs>